I think it would be nice. It's um, a little early still. If we could start with a little bit of silence and um, without being too formal about it, just let yourself be comfortable right now. And we'll begin with five minutes of settling down and being still, especially because we're early. So just take a comfortable seat and you can let your eyes be closed or let them be open. Whatever feels comfortable for you. And even before we formally begin, welcome yourself into this space. And we're meeting here for a purpose. And you don't even have to know it the way you know your to-do list. But we're here together to let something happen. to be in a different way together. So we're just starting with five minutes of quiet. And just notice how you feel today. And notice how it feels to let the attention be completely accepting right now. Be completely welcoming of this state that you find yourself in. And just notice how it feels to let go of all striving for this thing or that thing, a better state. I notice that I've so come to look forward to being with you, and we're not physically together, but there's something inside 
that looks forward to this occasion to be with my friends. And to be in this way So the question comes up from different people at different times. What exactly are we doing? As nice as it may be to be together. What is this? And more specifically, since I'm always talking about this activity as coming home, what? Are we coming home to? What exactly are we coming home to? Especially since in Buddhism there's no self according to the Buddha. So what are we coming home to? The Buddha famously compared this body and this mind and these feelings to a chariot, that it's a collection of different parts, a collection of different parts that don't necessarily add up to a whole. So we're, for people who are just coming in, we're talking about what is it that we're supposed to come home to? If according to these teachers, there is no home, there is no center, necessarily, that we're a collection of parts. We're a group of people who are not necessarily unified, not just in space, in terms of being together, but within. So the Buddha used the metaphor of the chariot other teachers, including Jayagrajeev, use the metaphor of a horse and carriage. That the feelings correspond to the horse. That there's a body that's like a carriage. And there's not necessarily a, a driver. There is a temporary driver. We're first one way, then another way. We're gripped by hatred. We're gripped by fear. We're gripped by desire. And in Buddhism, that arising of desire happens with the first glance at something or an aroma of a cinnamon bun. Someone was talking about cinnamon buns here earlier. Or something we can't even name. 
Gazas. So we're one way, we're another way, but there's something else. There's this awareness, this capacity to see, even to see that we're in pieces, and not just this attention, but this capacity for a special kind of intention. An intention that we might not even know we have. I've had the experience, in fact, I had it just last night, and I want to put it out there to see if you can relate. I woke up at 2.43 in the morning. I looked at the digital clock, so I know the exact time, 2.43, and I felt haunted, and I felt sad at 2.43 in the morning. So it occurred to me, because I knew I was going to be meeting with my friends, to bring my attention to this poignancy, this feeling of sorrow that was so painful. And I realized that I had a feeling that was very familiar to me, that I would, had spent the whole day distracted much of the time. Have you ever had that feeling that I was not fully being myself? And that there was a longing in me that wasn't the usual category of desire for this thing or that thing or a distraction. It was a longing to be fully present, fully myself. Have you ever had that feeling, that taste of having been not just distracted, but taken? And that sense that this isn't who I really am. And I was reminded of it extremely painfully this year because I got a phone call out of the blue from a friend of mine from high school, which was quite some time ago, a number of years ago, and she was sobbing and reaching out to me as someone who was once very dear to her to tell me that her daughter had died of an overdose and that she was sobbing and saying, it wasn't who she really was. She kept saying that to her mother, this young woman. This isn't who I really am. It was just the grip of addiction. But it doesn't have to be addiction. It could be the grip of fear, the grip of some conditioning. Do you know that feeling when you get caught up in the momentum of something? And then at another moment, 
like the middle of the night when I was actually getting towards morning, but in the small hours alone and in repose, I remembered that deep within me there's something that longs to be whole, to be my true self. And what I was really longing for was that attention that we sometimes taste when we sit together or alone. An attention that isn't separate from love. An attention that embraces all the pieces that we are and gives us, if only for a moment, a feeling of what it's like to be all here and receptive. And last week I was talking about um, this extraordinary message that was given to a friend and mentor of mine from a great Zen master named Soen Roshi. And he wrote to William Siegel as he lay in a hospital, smashed up, really pelvis broken, all the bones in his face broken, really and truly broken. The Zen master wrote to him, Lucky man, you lucky man. He was quite surprised to get this message because an accident like yours saved you 10,000 sittings in a monastery. What the hell was he talking about? I think, I think, he meant that at certain moments of great shock, great upheaval, great disruption, and we've all had them. Not necessarily a car accident, but some other great upheaval. And in the midst of that shock, often what happens, and it's a great surprise, when it does, is a feeling of coming home to what truly matters to us. It often doesn't have any words at all. It's a feeling, often, a feeling for the preciousness of life and for the people we love and for the opportunity to live another day. Usually it comes with it, a kind of almost Ebenezer Scrooge-like vow. Let me live and I'll be good. And that doesn't mean according to any standards external to us. 
It means knowing the goodness of being here under the sun, breathing, being present, being available to life. Just that. And I've, every time I've been in a, a scrape that feels like for death, and it's not like it happens every day, uh, the first thing I think, and see if you don't agree with me, is why was I worried about all that stuff? I'm not interested in it. I just want to be a warm-hearted human being. Another pair of hands on the bucket brigade because the world is burning and I can stand there and help pass water. Or a bucket, I don't know. <laughs> you know. We do know something. We know something deep inside. We know that there is someone here who wishes to be, who wishes to be. And the way we find it is by gently coming home to an attention that doesn't judge. It turns out, and I learned this from William Siegel from the story of his car accident, it doesn't matter what state we're in. It doesn't matter what state we're in. I'll repeat it again. It doesn't matter what state we're in. What matters is the quality of our attention. And this sincere intention in us to come home, to be present. And I just wanted to read the briefest quote from Mother Teresa, who famously said that we can do no great things, just small things with great love. She says, it's not how much we do, but how much love we put into the doing. It is not how much we give, but how much love we put in to the giving. To God, there is nothing small. How you could say to this loving attention, there is nothing small. Because God is love. Loving attention. So our aim together, our home, our common home, is an attention that isn't separate from love.
So let's take our seat together. Comfortable seat. And let your, even arranging yourself to be comfortable, to sit, let that be loving, caring. And let yourself pay attention to the small, to the smallest thing. And let your eyes close. If you're not comfortable with closed eyes, avert them. But it's best if you can close your eyes. And gently bring the attention to this body, this day. And just notice how you feel. And notice that this attention softens you, relaxes you, just a little sometimes. But as this happens, you begin to notice that you settle and also open. You settle down and open up. and begin to remember how vibrant you are inside, how alive. And see that when you get taken by thinking, which will happen, thinking is natural. You can gently come home again to the sensation of being present in a body, breathing.
And notice that this stillness isn't silence. It's a softening, not resisting what's happening. And notice that there's an attention inside and outside that's like sunlight. Like sunlight, it accepts. It just shines on whatever arises. When you get taken by a thought or a feeling, sometimes a painful feeling, notice that you can gently come home to an attention that's like sunlight. 
that sees without judging, that's warm, welcoming. And notice how it feels to be completely at home, completely accepted by this attention. Notice how it feels to give yourself to stillness, to be seen 
by an attention that doesn't judge. And as you settle and relax, you may notice something inside that wishes to be whole. To be wholly present. Notice that as we soften and relax, a presence begins to appear.
that we can sense. We begin to feel more whole. Noticing that when we come home to the sensation of the body and the experience of the present moment, we also open to an attention that's finer than thinking. That isn't separate from compassion.
beginning to see that whatever you think, you're more, you're more. Noticing how it feels to be welcome here, to belong to life. And I also want to share that a lot of times we think we despair, that our conditions just don't lend themselves to this kind of returning home, that we have too many pressures, too many distractions, that especially now, like life is tumultuous. And how can we possibly find a moment's peace? But I wanted to add, since I mentioned William Siegel, one of my friends 
is here. Aloha to Moai, who I met at William Siegel's apartment in Manhattan, and she is in Hawaii, and she was a close friend of the great Zen pioneer Paul Reps, who wrote Zen Flesh and Bones, who was a great friend of Bill Siegel's, and we and I met each other through that connection. And when Siegel was about to go to Japan to sit in the Zen monasteries, Reps said, don't go, they'll ruin you. And he, of course, had been in Roads and Flesh and Bones. But um, Bill, his good friend, came around to Rep's way of seeing. They traveled together and they had a great long friendship that life itself is a path and the best path, not just a poor substitute or an awkward occasional substitute, but exactly the conditions we need to wake up. And that this, in the end, when you have a moment of distraction or discomfort or difficult feeling of, oh, I've been taken or, you know, carried away by anger or sorrow or internet shopping um, or Netflix, it's precisely that moment of discomfort that's like the sand in the oyster that calls us home. Our own discomfort, longing, we can name it, but this aching sense that there's gotta be something else, that's like a bell of awakening. Because what we're called to do is to become ourselves our true selves. So I just wanted to read a wonderful poem that another good friend reminded me of this week called Love After Love by Derek Walcott, Caribbean, man of color. And here it is. The time will come when with elation you will greet yourself arriving at your own door in your own mirror and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored for another, who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your image from the mirror and sit, feast on your life.
how extraordinary it would be to have more moments like that of feeling completely ourselves, completely loved by ourselves, completely accepted. I can't think of anything better we can do for the world. Because as we do this, we become safe company for others. We can give our hearts and our ears and our eyes. So thank you for listening to me. And if you have a question or an observation you'd like to share, we're happy to hear it. Remembering before we go into our um, offering of metta that Mother Teresa's idea of that it's not what you see, it's not how large a moment or a gesture is, but the quality that it's offered with. And you've seen yourself the smallest thing. That's why I love always doing everything whenever possible just by Donna or donation because it's so touching. This feeling of, of exchange and connection with other people. Or when we sit together even in this form, which none of us would choose, or most of us wouldn't choose, we can have a sense of sharing something with other people. That is really something. And that this is the impulse, this is the wish that really is behind um, an offering of metta, um, and which we'll do right now and we can um, experience it instead of listening to me talk about it. And take a comfortable seat again. And really honoring yourself, your experience. Welcoming yourself to be like this and appreciating your practice. 
You didn't have to come here and you did. So, settling in to that sensation, that attention, that basic loving kindness in it, that wish to be present, to be part of life. We open that and offer ourselves a wish that we be safe and protected from all harm, inner and outer, including the harm of self-hatred, self-criticism, self-exile. May I be well in body and mind as well as I can be, no matter what my circumstances. Let me show up. And may I be free at home in the world. And we open our hearts still further and offer these wishes to the Sangha, including ourselves. May all the people here feel safe, including ourselves. May they feel well and at ease and free. May they come home to themselves. And let this wish, this caring attention radiate further still to embrace the whole country, the country where we are, for most of us, the states, for one of us, the UK, or may our whole country be safe protected from harm and danger. All kinds of danger from delusion and greed and hatred. Unseen bias, illness, injustice oppression, inequality, all forms of suffering, 
May we all be safe and well and free inside and outside. And opening our hearts still further, we cross the ocean and embrace the whole of the continent of Europe, the whole of the UK, the whole of North America, if you're going the other way, and include ourselves with all those beings. May we all be safe and free from all forms of harm and danger, from hatred and want and injustice, illness, hunger, and opening our hearts still further, always including ourselves right in the center. We include the whole of India, the whole of Africa, the whole of Europe, the whole of the Middle East, the whole of Asia, every country. May we all be safe and protected from harm and danger of all kinds, illness and hunger and homelessness and oppression and overwork. every conceivable kind of suffering. May we be safe and well and at ease in the world. May we be free. May all beings, every kind, plants and animals and creatures known and unknown, and all human beings everywhere with no exceptions, be free from 
the suffering of hatred and greed and delusion. May all of us be well in body and mind. May we be at ease in the world. May we know we belong, that we're welcome to be here. And may we be free. Thank you so much for your practice and for coming here. Take good care of yourselves and your practice. Never quit. Don't give up, ever. Even if you have one minute, just come home. <laughs>